Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Friday afternoon. Joining me from New York City is Tim Bonteps. Hello, fellas. And joining me from a few miles down the road, I can't be bothered to stay in the same place he is. I don't mm. want to run into him in the lobby, is Van McMahon. Howdy, partners. Wendy, you are one hell of a teammate. <laughs> <laughs> I actually need McMahon to give me a microphone because at 5.59 this morning, my microphone I was using in my hotel room to do TV. That's what we do at the big bad ESPN. We do TV in our hotel rooms. Failed. And so I need, you know, Bont- and McMahon's not working, so I can oh, wow. borrow his microphone. Oh, the shade. Anyway, joining us from Westport, Connecticut, we're so happy to have him to to, uh, talk uh, ahead of game two of the NBA finals, former Milwaukee Bucks owner, NBA champion. In fact, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see his replica Larry O'Brien trophy strategically placed over his shoulder is Mark Lazary. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I'm sure when you see, do you have FOMO when you see the finals? No, I mean, I think... I think if we were in the finals, I'd have FOMO. <laughs> that, that would be I think when you're not, you just watch the games and you enjoy it. Uh, I'm guessing you didn't have any FOMO in the first round. <laughs> so that was uh, that was a bit of a surprise, I would tell you. So no, I was kind of so I was very surprised at what happened. Well, what you were at that game five? I saw mm-hmm. you there as yeah. I was. What what was it like watching that game five courtside as it was unfolding? You know, you were surprised at what was happening because I think um, the Bucks were up by 14. Everything looked really good. Then all of a sudden, everything just fell apart. And you all I think we needed to do was score a few baskets. And that didn't happen. And then all you saw was Jimmy screaming and yelling and telling everybody he was going to score. Um, and the sad- and then doing it. <laughs> yeah, and then doing it, which was not what you were expecting. And then on the last play, you know, when he pushed off Pat uh, so he could score that layup, which was a phenomenal pass and a phenomenal basket, it just didn't feel good going into overtime. And then we sort of saw what happened. So I was pretty surprised about it. Yeah, that was a tough one. But just just a reminder of how special it is when you win, quite frankly, because the the alignment that needs to happen to win a title is so ama- so amazing. And this team was, I don't know. I mean, I would argue this was better than the 2021 team. Maybe you would disagree. I don't know, but you guys were loaded for bear for this season. You had the number one seed in a year where the East was as good as it's been in 20 years. And some things didn't go your way and you're, you're home in April. Yeah. It's, I think you're absolutely right. I think what you find out about basketball and this team was just deeper and stronger and it couldn't have gone better that you're the number one seed. You're playing the number eight seed. Right. So you're assuming you're going to win. Even when we were down, when you lose the first game, you still think you're going to win. Even with the honest hurt, you thought you would win. And it's just surprising what happens. And it's what makes basketball so great or any sport so great is that the unimaginable seems to happen more often than not. I know. (laughs) And we're always surprised at it. Um, But it happens. Look, you got to tip your hat off. I mean, you know, Jimmy Butler played phenomenal. But it always seems like in every series that somebody is playing great. And if you're not playing well, I mean, you saw it in the Celtics series, they couldn't even hit a three. You know, here's a team that was just scoring threes everywhere. And all of a sudden they, they're shooting 20%, 25%. So you never want to go through a cold spell when you're going through a series. I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare. And I think you find that. And when that happens, you end up losing. Well, I can tell you the Heat were shell shocked uh, a week ago when Derek White hit that putback. I mean, that building was absolutely ready for a party, and you know, just on a Saturday night in Miami, and it mm. just savaged. I mean, that's that's the NBA, like um, you know, and and seeing the players, and you know, w- when you cover a series, and like you know, you're you're deeply involved, you know, when you're in the ownership, going through a series like that, and I can remember this 
last year, Mark, in your series with the Celtics, that seven-game series, the highs and lows in that series, the times where the, the Celtics thought they were wrong, the times where you guys wrote, you know, game five, you rise up and win in Boston. And the highs and lows of a series are so intense, which is why, you know, the two-month run is such is such a, an accomplishment and why I will never, one of the things I just don't stand for is when anybody tries to dis, you know, to disregard a title. Well, so-and-so got hurt. Mm-hmm. Asterix here, asterix asterisk there absolutely unacceptable in my mind as somebody who's been up close and watched what these teams go through and uh you know you've been on the front line of that look i totally agree with you it's the highs and lows are tremendous i mean last year we're up three two you go to milwaukee you're up 10 points going into the fourth and every time you know Tatum scoring a basket or somebody scoring a basket i mean you you you're you're screaming you, you can't believe it and you get so emotional i mean i'm screaming at guys i'm like just cover them you know i'll scream <laughs> coach cover Tatum do this do that you just you get so emotional cuz you're so invested and you know a, a lot is just a matter of luck i mean that is somebody getting hot and somebody getting cold and you think you're in the best position. You're up 3-2 in your home, and you're up 10 points going into the fourth. What could be better? And then you yeah. look at the next two games. Right? Well, and you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned luck, Mark. What do you, do you, what stands out to you? Is the game seven in Brooklyn the game that stands out to you the most outside of, I guess, probably game six from the title run? And if so, what, what do you remember about sitting there and watching that game at Barclays that night? You know, it's, I remember thinking, all right, we've got this. And then Brooke somehow manages to get a, we don't even get a shot off. So now Brooke, you know, thought we were going to end up at least scoring. We don't do anything. Then Durant's got the ball and you see that he's getting ready to shoot and he shoots. And I was sitting with my son and I actually couldn't look to see if he made it. Hmm. Because you know, if he makes it, you're out. Right. So I figured, okay, I'm going to look to the side and the fans will tell me what happened. Because if everybody screams, that means he made it. And if everybody goes, ah, you know, I'd be the only one jumping up and down. Right. (laughs) And then you hear everybody go crazy. And I'm like, did that go in? You look and he's standing behind the three point line. So I thought we lost. Mm -hmm. And my son said, no, 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 no. I think I think his foot was on the line. I'm like, are you sure? He goes, yeah. And then so now life comes back into you. But you know, if you remember, I think the overtime, we won four to two. I mean, we scored two hmm. baskets. Nobody scored right? forever. Yeah. Nobody scored forever. And then Giannis made that. He came down and made that runner. I think him and Middleton yeah. each had one bucket. Like, think about that. It was four to two in a five-minute overtime because everybody was absolutely exhausted. You know, you it's exactly what you say. I mean, you just live every basket. I was sitting next to Joe Sy in one of the games. And every time we'd score, I'd scream, yes. And I'd look at Joe and go, so sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's such an odd, that's an odd dynamic because the owners, yeah, the owners, it's very much of a, a, from what I see, I'm not in the room. It's very much of a fraternity. You know, you guys are truly partners. I know that there are times when you butt heads and sometimes you sue each other, et cetera, but. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't amongst friends? Who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) It's just friends. (laughs) But that's that's kind of you know, and he's hosting you at his arena, right? He's yes. like, please come sit with me at yes. my arena. No, and that's <laughs> what it is because you're sitting together, you know, and look at right before the game, and you say this to everybody, like, you know, I always say, look, good luck. I hope we crush you. Uh, it's nothing personal, <laughs> but best of luck. And you know, I don't really mean it. Um, so, but you're friendly with everybody, and actually, what you really want is just a really good game. Right. You actually want a really good game because it that's more fun. You feel bad for about a second that your friend is lost and then you're just thrilled that you won. But you hit it on the head because that's exactly what it is, because you're not buying tickets. The opposing team is giving you tickets um, out of a matter of courtesy because they're your partner in the league. Yeah, that's a that's a whole thing about where the owners sit. Sometimes they have good seats and sometimes they have OK goods. Not as good seats. <laughs> but right. somehow, Mark, you always ended up on the front row. Every time I was ever at a game that you were at, you were always well, in the front row. I'm friendly with a lot of the owners. So I think it, it was always <laughs> very nice. But yeah, I've seen other owners. Um, 
get stuck in different places because they're not as friendly with somebody. <laughs> or so, you can be like Cuban and just sit right behind the bench as, as part of the coaching staff. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's he gets away with it. Mark would just coach from across the court. He would just scream at the coaches <laughs> from the other side. So I remember talking to you about this when you won in 2021, John Horst, your GM, Peter Fagan, your team president. You know, I would have this conversation with a lot of people. I felt like the title that you guys won was truly the the most pure way to win because it was an organic title and that you guys built the whole thing from the grassroots right up, drafted the guys, developed the guys. You you did make a couple of free agent signings, but, and I, and I, again, you know, I don't denigrate titles, but there's a, there's a, a feeling that it's just deeper when you develop your own title. I remember talking to Chauncey Billups about this when Chauncey was considering taking the Cavs president's job and uh, he ended up not taking it. And I said, well, you know, Chauncey, I think LeBron is going to leave in a year. We were talking, he was talking to me about whether he was going to take the job and he goes, that's okay. Because Ty Lou, he was very close to Ty. He says, Ty and I have always talked about wanting to win a title, building it from scratch. Yeah. And here's two guys with rings. You know, Ty's got rings. Ty had already won a ring as a coach. Chauncey's got rings. And that's why this Denver Nuggets team that is maybe on the verge of doing it, I see a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Jokic and Giannis were guys that were talented, but certainly not regarded as these types of players, developed into MVPs. Other guys that were, you know, Chris Middleton, you, you guys traded for, but really he was a second round pick like in his second year. Like you guys... The Bucks developed him. Oh, we did. Uh, then, like the Aaron Gordon trade, Drew Holiday is a higher-profile player, but similar kind of. We're going to bring in this guy who can defend and strategic free agent signings, like you guys, Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez. They bring in Bruce Brown. It's if the Nuggets win this, it would be an organic. It is raise up, and I I, I just re- respected you guys' victory so much, and and I respect the, the way the Nuggets have constructed their team as well. I think you actually have a great point because what ends up happening is there becomes a love affair within the city because of those players, right? And and you see that. I think I think um, everybody in Denver loves the Joker. I think everybody in Milwaukee loves Giannis because he's been there from the very beginning, and Jokic has been there from the very beginning. You know, Chris was he came a year after after he was in the league. So he's been there from the very beginning. And I think for us, we sort of felt we we built it and it's organic. But the hard part, and we've talked about this, it's really, really hard to do in a small city. Mm-hmm. It just is, right? I mean, it's just because if you're not doing organic, it's really hard to get a big name free agent to decide they're going to come to Milwaukee. It is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think for us, and you and I had talked about this, Getting Giannis to stay was huge, right? Because they've got so many opportunities to go elsewhere. And I think Jokic, same thing. He had no interest in going. And I think part of that is there becomes, you sort of feel you're growing up in that city. You love it. You've formed relationships. And then there becomes this desire to try to win for the city and try to do things that other people have not have not done. And I think you're seeing that more and more with players. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing in Denver. And if they're able to do that, I mean, that'll also be pretty unique. You know, and the, and the Joker Giannis uh, storyline is, is extremely similar to, to the point of back-to-back MVPs, which kind of puts a guy on a pedestal where it's back-to-back MVPs, but you know, he's never been to the finals, you know, and it's almost like it, it invites more scrutiny. It invites more, uh, criticism, and then you know the next year don't get the MVP. Giannis obviously goes on the championship run. Joker's uh, three wins away, but you know it was that Drew Holiday trade for you guys that hushed all the hey is Giannis going to stay stuff. He, you you get Drew Holiday, boom, Giannis is signing that extension, yeah. and, and then off you go. How would you describe? I don't know if, if if pressure is the right word or just the sense of urgency when you know hey we've developed this guy who is absolutely good enough to be uh you know the the heart and soul of a, of a championship team and just how do we figure out how to put the 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 finishing pieces around him to you know to make that a reality you know it's a great question i would say to you i don't know if it's a sense of urgency i think it's it's definitely pressure you feel that 
you have a generational player. I mean, Dallas has that, right? In Luca. Mm-hmm. And you know, you it's almost like someone's writing a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> almost like someone's doing that. I know you listen to the pods. So I know you're aware. I do. No, no, that's why I said. I think I, I know you know this. You feel that th- there's a partnership with your best player. There, there sh- and there should be, right? And and the quid pro quo is look, we want you to stay and we're going to do everything we can to try to win. And as long as people believe that, then it's a real partnership, Mm -hmm. right? What ends up stopping is if all of a sudden Giannis believes we're no longer going to do what it takes to win, then he's going to then do what he thinks is best for him. Right now, what he's going to do is what's best for the city, what's best for the team, because he feels there's a partnership, right? And I think think if both parties are trying to do that, then it's okay. And that's, look, the reason we did the Drew Holiday trade is we sort of felt... And the problem is every team feels this. You always feel you're one player away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always feel like I just need one more player and that'll get me over the hump. And that's okay as long as you keep trying, right? Because it is a chemistry issue. Drew turned out to be phenomenal. I, I do think that was the missing piece, right? And then we were able to get, you know, PJ, uh, the trade deadline, mm-hmm. and he turned out to be great. And he was a character and he is a character. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but I think John Horst realized we needed to do certain things. And John and Giannis have a great relationship. And I would say I'm pretty close to Giannis that you are going to tend to do what's best to try to win. And as long as your star player believes you're doing everything, he's going to keep on staying. It's it's when all of a sudden that stops. Mm-hmm. And the problem ends up being you know, that either you're not spending the money or you're not giving up assets, right? And Brian, you were there with Cleveland with LeBron. I mean, you know, for LeBron to stay, it was they were giving up assets every year to make sure they won that year. So you're not trying to build for the future. You're you're saying, I got to win now. Mm-hmm. And you know you do, because if Giannis isn't there, it's hard to win, right? If LeBron wasn't there, it's hard to win. If Luca's not there, it's going to be hard to win. So well, you need to keep doing it. But you well, did it. You raised the banner. Like, that's the thing, like, no matter what happens, that banner stays up there. Those that the night that night in Milwaukee, where those where there was tens of thousands of people outside your arena, and that moment that will be an iconic moment for the history of Milwaukee. Like I even told you, like when you sold the team, I I you know I'm sure it was bittersweet for you. It was, but you'll never. As you could win a couple more titles, you'll never have that moment again, like you had. And the same because I experienced it in Cleveland, and to a lesser extent, I also felt that when we were covering the Raptors. Yeah. You know, the Raptors winning that championship yeah. for Toronto, those moments, those titles, you know, and especially in a city that hasn't had that before stays with you. you no. Know? So it's, so it's like, you know, Cleveland was in a hole for four years after LeBron yeah. left, but it was worth, it was worth it. Oh, you know, sure. I mean, you make the deal and you make it worth it. And you mentioned PJ. I think one of my favorite moments from the, from the playoffs in the last 10 years involved PJ in that series with the Nets when PJ is just absolutely going to war with Durant. And, and we see that shot. You, you didn't see this because you were at the game, but there's this shot, Mark. I'm sure you've seen it since, but where Wanda, uh, Kevin yeah. Durant's mother, is that. screaming at PJ. This is not football. She's, she's, she's frustrated <laughs> because he's roughing up her son. He's, uh-huh. he's just doing everything he can. And they've and known she, each other forever, going back yeah. to you know the Texas ties and all For that. Sure. Right. And so PJ looks at her and says, I love you. And she says, I love you too. <laughs> Is that, that's the NBA playoffs. That's the NBA playoffs right there. All out war. And sometimes you love you. Sometimes you don't, but that's the NBA playoffs. And, uh, and uh, that's the stuff that we, we, we live for. I'll give you a great story. I think by the fourth game, you know, after we had tied it, I go to Bud and I'm like, Bud, listen, I know you don't want to hear this, but I know PJ is covering Durant. Durant's still scoring 30 or 40 points a game, right? <laughs> Do you think he's doing a good job in scoring like 30, 40? You think maybe we should switch it up? He goes, no, no, no. He's doing a great job on him. He's going to score 40. Difference is with PJ on him, he's going to be exhausted for the last two or three minutes. He's not going to be doing, he's not going to be able to do anything. I'm like, okay, you're the coach, but he's still scoring 30, 40 points. And (laughs) And he was right because you, you know, PJ, I think, just made it so difficult for him that Durant was exhausted by the end of the series. What did you say the overtime score was? Yeah, 42. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And that's what he's like, you know, everybody always says, Oh, if Durant had, you know, been an inch back, you know, the Nets win the title. And Durant said, mm-hmm. not so fast. I was gassed. How do you think we're going to get through the next two series? Yeah. Which is hilarious because Durant, while he's playing 44, 45 minutes per game uh, with the Suns in these playoffs is like, why is everybody talking about fatigue? I don't you know. I'm fine. I can play. You know, it's like, eh, okay, well, we'll, we'll ask you uh, next season when you're honest about it. Yeah, it was hard. Well, you mentioned Bud there, Mark, and you had two sort of interesting coaching decisions, I would say, during your time in Milwaukee. Yep. One was about a month after you bought the team, you decided to go after your old pal Jason Kidd, which was yep. a nice benefit to me. So thank you for that. And the other was uh, you decided not to fire Mike Budenholzer after the bubble. So I was curious on the first one, did you realize you were going to cause as much of a storm as you did when you went after Jason the first time and sort of if you could walk us through that process? And then secondly, what went into the decision to stick with Mike? Because as we've seen this summer, including with Mike, there's a lot of teams who have decided to go the other way with really good coaches after disappointing playoff runs like the one you guys had there. I think the first one with Jason, I had known Jason as a player. I knew him. I had owned a piece of the Nets. So I knew Jason when he played there and we just become very good friends. And I thought, I thought he would bring a lot of credibility to Milwaukee that you had a hall of fame guard coming in hall of fame player. He's a great guy. And I thought he'd be a really good coach. He could teach the younger guys. He actually, he was great. I mean, the problem with Jason is he demands a lot. He really does. He doesn't understand why people can't do the things that he does, right? And I think that's kind of hard. And I think um, after four years, I think it was time for us to make a change. What I was shocked at is when we brought when we brought Jason in. You know, we have this big press conference because everybody thought we did something that was wrong. It's on ESPN. Well, it was kind of a big deal to, to was, poach right? another team's coach. It was kind of a it was kind of a notable thing. As I said, I appreciated you doing it at the time. It was helpful to me. Well, no, but the part that was funny is I didn't know the rules. And what I mean by that, I didn't know that when you're gonna fire somebody, you're supposed to let them know, hey, just in case I'd want to let you know it may not work out. And by the way, we're gonna try to hire somebody else. But if it doesn't work, by the way, you're my guy. You know, I still love you. We don't like, you know, in my business, when you are trying to hire somebody, don't tell the guy you're going to fire. Hey, if it doesn't work, you're still going to be here. But I guess in the NBA, you're not supposed to do that. Um, so you're supposed to let people know in advance that you're trying to replace them, even if it doesn't work out. So yeah, it became this huge story. And I found it, um, I found that a bit surprising. And I said, okay, going forward, we won't do that. With Bud, I, I thought the bubble was, it was just weird. I mean, I I wasn't, a, I, mean, I, I thought it was great that we played, but I thought being in the bubble, it was just weird. And Giannis got hurt. I, I, we didn't, I, don't know, I didn't blame Bud for that. I, I think there was a lot of stuff going on and we thought we had a really good team and it'd be fine, right? We really did. But I think it's, we were willing to put, you know, to wait and keep on developing. I think today, and you see it, it's exactly what you said. The pressure on everybody to win right now is so great. And if you're favored to win and you don't win, look, somebody's at fault. It's either the GM, it's either the coach or it's the players, right? It's never the owner. I was going to say never the owner. (laughs) (laughs) It's never the owner screwed up, but so it's going to be, somebody's going to get in trouble for that. And I well, think unless the owner's the GM, which happens sometimes. Sometimes. So what you've got to do is if you're the owner, you've got to be patient and you've got to sort of believe. And I think we believe hey, that wasn't Bud's fault, us losing. It wasn't the player's fault. I thought it was more the situation of where we were. And, you know, I think that turned out to be the right decision at the time. Well, it's sort of along the lines of patience. You, When you bought the team in 2014, I looked it up to check. Giannis had played. I think 77 games, he scored mm-hmm. 6.8 points per game. He was a, obviously an interesting young player, but I don't think anybody necessarily thought he was going to turn into what he's turned into. And you've basically been with him every step of the way. So what what has it been like for you to, A, get to know him over time, and B, to see the way he has developed into the player he has over the past nine years? You know, when I met when I first met Giannis, we were doing our due diligence on the Bucs. 
we end up going to have dinner at the practice facility. And there's just one person there shooting baskets. And it was Giannis. I mean, there was nobody else. And it's like seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And I remember I asked at time John Hammond, who is that? And he goes, oh, it's, you know, it's Giannis. We ended up drafting him. He could, he could turn out to be good, right? Because it's exactly what you said. He wasn't, he was a skinny little guy mm-hmm. and not, he wasn't scoring that much. And I was like, wow, he seemed, and you know, John's, John's views were very simple. He goes, he's got a great motor and he will work harder than anybody here. And he just loves to play. And I remember I went up to him and said, hi, we're thinking of buying the team. Started shooting some baskets with him. You know, we're playing a little game of horse and he decides to jam the ball and said, can you do that? I, was like, no. <laughs> I, can't, even, I can't even hit the net. <laughs> you automatically win. So it's not even a game. And he's just, he's just a sweet kid. And Giannis has continued to be that person. I mean, he really has. He loves the game. He loves people. I I'm annoying. I bring the I bring my every time I go to a game, I bring 13 people, you know, go on the plane, bring people in. I bring them in the locker room before the game. I bring them after the game. And every time I bring little kids in, I'd always say to Giannis, uh, you take a picture, the nicest person, happy to take a picture. So is Chris Middleton, Drew Alde. Everybody's always happy. I remember once, uh, you know, Giannis was sitting, his feet are in a nice bucket. And the kid says to him, uh, he's like a 10-year-old, he goes, oh, do you mind standing up? I'd like to have a picture of the two of us standing up. And Giannis goes, I'm naked. (laughs) I can't can't stand up. You know, he's got his little towel around him. And and the kid goes, oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) You got to remember, you're a 10-year-old kid. You're just excited to be in the locker room. And you're just taking pictures. And for someone as big as he is, to be as nice as he is, he hasn't really changed. Demands on his time are huge. And he's changed a little, but you expect that. But I can bring people in the locker room. He he couldn't be nicer to people, right? And I would say all our players are like that. I think one of the great things about the Bucks players is they're just nice. They're nice guys. I'm not saying I'm not annoying when I come in there and I ask everybody to take a picture (laughs) with. But, you know, for everybody else, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It just is. Like, you know, you guys get to see them every day. Somebody comes in, sits courtside, goes in the locker room, and you're seeing their hero. Um, we'll go in, they're working out. It's actually, it's it's been a cool experience. That's what you said, Brian. It's a bit bittersweet. Hey, you, yeah, this and- might surprise you. NBA players aren't always nice to us. <laughs> <laughs> if you bring um, a kid, they better be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, last night I was there with the, with the Nuggets family after the game. And, um, you know, I think the Nuggets, because they've kind of grown up all together like the Bucks, you know, the Nuggets family, they all have, I mean, all the players, you know, you go through the NBA, it's not like the families are at war, but, um, you know, the camaraderie you can tell uh, with the Nuggets family and, you know, the Jokic brothers are (laughs) walking around and, (laughs) and, you know, everybody's got their family there. And you can, I just, um, I just feel a lot of Bucks vibes being around the nuggets and uh you know i could see them playing in a finals <laughs> they could it could have been this year's finals this could have been a, a denver milwaukee final i could see it happening you know in the future um and with the league you know with these new rules changing over where i do think it's going to potentially favor more parity which i don't know there's a debate about whether or not the rules favor mid markets or not but um you know it does favor more parity um we could see more mid market finals uh in theory well mark was on the labor committee we should ask him does it favor mid or small (laughs) markets or not what's what's the verdict now that you're not in it anymore i I think it favors parity and parity ends up being beneficial to smaller teams Mm -hmm. right if you just think of it that way the you know the the problem if you're a small market team is that people are going to want to play in new york la miami you know dallas any of the big cities and so going forward, that's going to be harder to do because of the tax aprons and just the way things are. So that I think you'll have more parity and it's going to be much more about, you know, which is your point, Brian, is it homegrown talent? Because if you can end up getting a generational player through the draft, all you have to do is bring in one more person 
and you'll be able to do that. And I don't think like an LA team can bring in three people, right? The cost is just going to be too high. I think that's what everybody, I think that's what everybody wants, right? All everybody wants is competition because the more competition there is, the more every team, the beginning of the season, the more anybody, all the teams can say, hey, we have a shot to win a championship, the better it is for the league. You know, it's just because then everybody's got hope and there's nothing like hope. That's true. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. No, I really my appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you and, very much. Uh, I hope you enjoy the finals as a, as a neutral party. No, I do. You know what's what's fun about it now? You're actually you can record it and then you just go right through the commercials <laughs> and you're zipping through everything. Please do not go through the commercials on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do it on ABC. I would, I would always watch full commercials on ABC. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. No, thank fun. you for your time. Good luck. We'll see you down the line. I'll see you soon. I know you'll, I know you'll still be uh, involved in the NBA one way or another going forward. I know I will. So. I'll come back. You know, I'll be like, uh, who was it? Arnold? I'll be back, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all heard what you sold the team for. We know you'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll see you later. Thank you. Enjoy. Appreciate Take it. care. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, it's time for trivia, which is uh, presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Bon Temps, your trivia performance in the last mm. pod was shaky at best. It was worse on the re-listen, <laughs> but we're going to move on because we all make mistakes. And that's Max like... Max Bruce goes 0 for 10, and that's about how Bon Temps performed last pod. Just, <laughs> just like Mark Lazary said about the 2020 bubble, he didn't blame Bud, and he stuck with him, so we're going to yep, stick with our just guy. Just the same. Wish I had the same we'll paycheck as Bud. That'd be great. That's true. <laughs> and now, to present today's trivia question, the whiz of the quiz, Tim Bontemps. So Doc Rivers, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Doc Rivers did not get the Phoenix Suns job. Does not seem like, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens to Toronto, but it seems unlikely he's going to coach uh, a team this year, which would end his streak of consecutive seasons coached at 24. Hmm. Wow. There, that is second all time in the history of the NBA. I'm pretty sure you guys can get the number one guy on the list in terms of consecutive seasons coached. No, it's not Jerry Sloan. So this the question was going to be who oh. makes up the rest of the top five. Jerry Sloan was third. Pop, uh, Pop is first. Oh, Pop, Pop passed 27, Sloan. 27 consecutive years. Doc is at 24. Jerry Sloan is at 23. He is third. Wow. I felt like Sloan was like 31. I don't, I was obviously wrong. Okay. Felt like, felt like 31. So then there's, there's two, uh, so what coaches Red round out was it? Red Auerbach yeah, was, was fifth. Okay. 20. He was tied with Gene Shue, but Red Auerbach was fifth. Okay. So we're missing the fourth. Missing fourth. I coached uh, the Blazers and Sixers. Wow. Blazers and Sixers. Jack Ramsey? Jack Ramsey. Doc wow. Dr. Years. Jack. Dr. Jack. I was going to say, Dr. I was going to say Jack. we know his son if we didn't get farther than yeah, that. Yeah. I, I should have got that. Oh, man. Dr. Jack. What a powerhouse. We just had a long conversation with him the other, about him the other day at. Uh, well, I was like, see, he had one with, with him. I'd really like to hear about that. We we're you talking know, about him with uh, Dave Passion about Hubie the other day. That's right. So you know, a few years ago, shortly after Dr. Jack passed, was our colleague at ESPN. His there was son like was our memorial. boss. That's Chris right. Crazy. His son Chris was our boss. He hired me at ESPN. He also did some things to really help the company too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think he claims you, McMahon. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, I just remember when he had, we had the, sort of his memorial uh, shortly after he died, Hubie spoke. It was that it was during the finals. And we sort of had like a, 
he had died several months before but we sort of had like a memorial and um hubie telling jack dr jack stories i mean i wish that had been on tape because man just amazing speaking of uh, coaching hirings uh the sons made a hire and uh, hired frank vogel uh according to woge um you know, when you fire a coach like Monty Williams, who's been successful, um, you're really under the the pressure to 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 you know make a hire there that uh, you really think has a good chance of moving you forward. And so, while I know Kevin Young, mm-hmm. who was their lead assistant and was a strong candidate for the job, and I have heard nothing but good things about both in Phoenix, outside of Phoenix, other organizations. I know him from Philly. He's a really bright guy. Uh, I suspect he is going to get a head coaching job in the short-term future, but that is a big ask to put that on his shoulders. Not only, you know, know, on the front office, that's a big ask to put on his shoulders. You have Booker and Durant. And by the way, I know Devin Booker is a big believer. Huge believer. Kevin Young. And so um, it's a big ask to put him in that situation. So going with Frank Vogel, who has got a lot of experience, has a ring, has long experience of advancing deep in the playoffs. It's a guy that I respect a lot. I've covered a lot over the years. It's a safer hire mm-hmm. uh, for what they're trying to do. And you can tell the Suns were twisting on this. You know, you can tell, you can feel it without knowing all the machinations of the back and forth. You can feel that they were seriously considering Doc. You know, I just, I just know, like, as of like yesterday, I was talking to somebody who was talking to somebody in the Suns organization and the Suns were doing, you know, due diligence on Doc and Frank Vogel. Not that there's much new, I mean, pretty much know who Doc is at this point, but, you know, like they were seriously looking at it. And I think because they know that this is such an important hire and, uh, you know, McMahon, you were with them in the playoffs and they got eliminated. Like they don't have time to mess around. It's, it's high pressure situation. And that's what Vogel stepped into in LA and it worked. And yeah. so I think they're hoping for the same thing. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a, it's a high pressure situation where, you know, they, they feel like they are right in the middle of a championship window. And obviously when you make the deal that they made for Kevin Durant, it does become a championship or bust type of situation. And, but it's challenging because that roster is awfully thin. Ding, uh, ding, ding. You know, certainly, um, you know, it's been well chronicled the headbutting between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, but by no stretch do I believe that Monty Williams' departure makes it much more likely for DeAndre Ayton to still be in Phoenix next season. Um, I still am pretty sure DeAndre Ayton will be traded this summer. You know, they've got uh, a decision to make on Chris Paul. Um, I think that one is, is certainly more likely for Chris for Chris Paul to be back, but they need to understand, you know, what their potential uh, options are uh, there as well. You know, obviously Chris Paul is still a, a, a very good player, but at 38 years old, if they could somehow turn him into a couple of, of, of quality role players, I think that'd be something that they would uh, have to seriously consider. Um, but, you know, you've got two superstars and a lot of question marks around them. But all those question marks, that doesn't diminish the expectations that Frank Vogel was walking into. And, and the 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 relationship he is able to develop with Devin Booker is obviously going to be critical. And I'll be honest with you, I thought Kevin Young was going to get this job because I I I know that Devin Booker uh is you know a a huge, huge fan of his. And, and again, it's not just that he likes him, it's that he respects him and he believes in him. So I think it it became a, a a deal where, you know, Ishbia and, and and the people he's listened to just didn't feel like with a team in this situation that they could go with a a rookie NBA head coach. Yeah, I mean, look, I I echo your sentiments on Kevin Young. I think he's a bright guy. I think he's going to be a head coach. He's probably going to be a good head coach. I can understand why the Suns wanted to go with a veteran guy who's won a title, who's had a ton of success. Frank Vogel's a really good guy. I suspect he'll be able to have good relationships with. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. I don't think that'll be an issue. I think it goes back to what you talked about. We're going to get to the game one of the finals and looking at game two in a little bit here, but the Phoenix Suns were not good enough in the second round to beat Denver. And the two games they won required Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to do absolutely historic things offensively, and they barely won both games. And I don't really care what Frank Vogel does with their defense. 
they have to find ways to upgrade this roster this summer when they're not going to have access to the tax MLE, probably if they get up that high, they have to figure out what they're doing with DeAndre Ayton. They have to figure out what to do with Chris Paul, and they have to find ways to add talent to this roster with no trade assets, really. So it's going to be a very challenging line to walk there to get enough talent on this roster to make it good enough to compete with Denver and these other t- elite teams in the West. Cause like I said, you saw in that second round series as clear as day, Denver ain't going anywhere. No. And they were not good enough to hang with Denver and Denver's probably only going to get better really from here. Frankly, you would think mm-hmm. as these guys continue to play together um, over time. So I think that's the real challenge and that's no disrespect to Frank Vogel, but Monty Williams is a good coach too. Like to me, it's about what are they going to do with this roster this summer? And that, that's going to be one of the more challenging situations going forward in the league, I think, to figure out how they can add enough to that group to get it where it needs to be to beat Denver well, in the West. Well, and I got to tell you, we've been talking about the big choices coming for Portland, about what they do with the number yeah. three pick and Dame Lillard and how that's going to really affect the league. The Chris Paul situation is a prickly one. He is guaranteed out of what, what, what's the number? He's, he's guaranteed 15.8 million out of 30.8. He's okay. guaranteed 15.8. And that includes the second year too. He's got 15 guaranteed left total over the final two years of the deal. Right. And I, I want to, I might be off a day or two, but it's, it's a late June. I could tell you right now. I'll pull it up right now. 29th. That might be a day or two off June 28th. Sorry. I think we can all agree that Chris Paul is not a $30 million player anymore. Okay. The problem is if you don't pick up, if you pick up the option and keep him for 30 million, because he is your point guard. Now you're headed into that situation where you're going to lose the ability to, to do certain things under the new rules. Mm-hmm. If you if you let him go, then you don't have the you don't have an asset to really yeah. trade. Which you know, in theory, even though they're out all these first round picks, Chris Paul does have value out in the market. There could be some interest in him, sure. and even if you wanted to trade him before the the pickup the uh, the uh, the guaranteed date. He only counts as much money as his guarantee is. That's the rules, the right. NBA rules. So you can't trade him for like a star player, however you would do that. So you're almost better um, off guaranteeing his salary and using him as an expiring deal to bring in, like you said, McMahon, even if you get just two or three players for him, I would almost yeah. rather have depth, like okay depth and save some other team money than have one Chris Paul at 30 million at 38 with his well, health issues on top of everything else. It, well, look on. at what happened with Westbrook. You know, the Lakers, now the Lakers had to sweeten that deal with a pick, but I think Chris Paul, you know, might have more interest in the league. They might be some more interest in him than for Westbrook sure. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But basically, that's what the Lakers did. The Lakers, at the totally. end of the day, used, used Westbrook as an expiring contract, and the Jazz, you know, cleared their books off with him. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say that, like, giving him $15.8 million to not play for you next year and having nothing to show for it to me is just that's not an option, a championship contending team can uh can take not when you have very few other ways to improve your roster it'd be right. one thing if they had a bunch of picks and other you know space or whatever yeah. but i mean there is a way that they could wave and stretch him and the cap hit would go down but it's still not it's still got the right, same right but you're not creating cap flexibility that's right. Because the only so way, you, you, if you went that route, you'd have to, if you waved it, stretch him and stretch the 15 over five years, then you'd have to try to send DeAndre Ayton to some cap space team for basically nothing. And then you're talking about having enough room to maybe go do something. But that's a lot of gymnastics to then maybe mm-hmm. get a player. And then you're still in the same position where you, you then maybe you have three guys and then you have literally no depth. And I just don't know if that's going to be good enough to get where they want to go and, at this point. And the Suns don't need another star. Right. They have like, listen, they've got two guys who can score, combine to score 70 or 80 points any given night. They've got two of the best offensive players in yep. basketball. They need to fill out the supporting cast. They, they've they got need reliable depth. Power. Yes. Reliable depth is what they need. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. 
So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So you mentioned Monty Williams. Um, Detroit makes a pretty interesting hire with him, gives him the largest contract in the history of the M- of the NBA in terms of coaches, uh, almost $80 million guaranteed over six years. Okay, let me just say two things about this. One, for a team in Detroit, that needs a culture reset that has kind of nothing against Dwayne Casey, but has kind of been aimless at sea for a decade here. What's well, a lot I don't like know the situation you walked to into in Phoenix a few years ago. Exactly. Very similar. I, I don't think you could have made many better hires than a it, Monty Williams absolutely is a culture setter. I, I don't know what else he can do, but he absolutely will set a culture there. And I can totally get why the, the Pistons organization wanted him and everything like that. He didn't want this job. No, made money with. Okay, and he basically they offered him so much money that he went because because the word in the NBA was that Monty was taking a year off. Yeah, yeah, they bought him out of taking a break. He was going to take a break, and they bought him out of everybody in the league was saying that. I mean, the Suns were planning on paying him next year. The all these other teams knew it. You know, Monty was going to take care of his family and be with his family and and take the year off. Mm-hmm. And it got to be so much money that the taking care of your family inversed because yeah. it was like, well, wait a minute, I want to do what's best for my family here, but maybe what's best for my family is taking this freaking amazing offer. How about so, how about Matt Ishbia firing a coach with three years and twenty one million left on his contract and ended up saving money? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's the NBA, but. I just I'm just worried about the foundation when the guy didn't want the job. He basically bought him. I I, I hear what you're saying. I I just don't think it's in Monty Williams' character to not be fully invested once he commits to doing the job. I I, I just I would generally agree with you. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is the roster is not very good. And these guys were banking on getting Victor Wembanyama or maybe Scoot Henderson or maybe Brandon Miller. And instead, they got the fifth pick in the draft. And there's just a lot of ifs, ands, or buts. Like Jaden Ivey's a really interesting young guy. Kate Cunningham, I think is, I'm really a big fan of him. He obviously had dealt with big these time stress, stress reaction issues last year. Hopefully, like Bradley Beal dealt with those early in his career, he came back and had no issues. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping that Cade Cunningham is on the court next year because I really like the combination of him and Ivy going forward. But it's a quirky roster and they haven't had success and it's going to be a real build, I think, in Detroit. But I'm with you, Brian, from the standpoint that I think that you couldn't have done much better than Monty walking into this job in the summer. And I'm with you, McMahon, from the standpoint that I certainly think while Monty was going to take a break, it seems very obvious. And now he is not for obvious reasons. I think he's going to jump into this thing full bore now that he's doing it. I, I would say that it is a roster that has a lot of high end young talent in need of direction and development. And obviously they felt like Monty Williams was the guy to provide that direction and that development. But, you know, Cade Cunningham, I'm not sure if he's got superstar potential. He certainly has all-star potential. You know, Jaden Ivey was uh, a, a top five pick for a reason. Jalen Duran had a really nice year. Yeah, Jalen Duran, I think, is is you know one of the more promising young big men uh, in the league. They you know they, they do have a weird thing where they've got all these lottery big guys, um, but he's he's the one who I think is. He'll really got a chance. And you left. haven't even mentioned Bagley yet, who they signed to an extension. Right. Well, well they have the fifth pick. Wiseman or <laughs> they're, Wiseman. They're gonna... My God, Wiseman. Jeez, oh man. 
yeah. I forgot well, about their Heisman. <laughs> yeah, they have a weird roster, but they also do have the fifth pick this year again. They're probably mm-hmm. going to get another interesting young player. Like they do have cap space. Like they they've got a lot of uh, ability to go in a lot of different directions, but. They needed to, like you said, I think aimless is a good word to describe Detroit. They've been all over the place from a roster standpoint. They've sort of, you know, taken a bunch of different chances on different guys, got Bagley, got Wiseman. They have these other young guys they've drafted. They go trade for Boyan Bogdanovich last year. They thought they were going to take a step forward. Then K didn't right. play. Uh, it's it's just sort of been all over the place. And it will be interesting to see what happens They're trying now. to buy their way out of their aimlessness is what they're well, trying to do. Yeah. And maybe it works. They, it, they certainly did. Yeah, I mean, look, Monty Williams, like you said, you look at what he he walked into a situation in Phoenix where that was a rudderless, aimless organization and had a young, intriguing young player in Devin Booker who hadn't been mm-hmm. part of winning yet. A few years later, Devin Booker seen as one of the elite players in the league and has grown into a guy that's, I think everybody would agree, is a franchise caliber cornerstone player. And if he could do the same thing with Cade Cunningham, Detroit will be in very good shape. It really is a pretty right, similar we... situation, though, because, you know, they had Booker, Bridges, and Aiden. You know, this mm-hmm. is a team that's got three young players who have a chance to be you know, really, really good. It's Monty's job to help them get there. Yep. All right, before we go, uh, the NBA Finals. <laughs> oh, wait, yes. Uh, that's, why, that's why we're in Denver. That's right. So my, my viewpoint on watching that game is that, of course, Jokic is brilliant and remains brilliant and is having one awesome. of the great postseasons in the NBA history. and. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen a player who is more challenging to stop because while you see guys like LeBron who has the ability to do so much, Jokic's bailout at the end when everything else goes to pot is that he's seven foot, he can shoot the ball straight up in the air and he can mm-hmm. shoot it at 63%. So many times the Heat, not so many, but a number of times the Heat, I thought had good defensive possessions. And with three seconds on the clock, either he made a shot or made a pass and and broke them. From the Heat's perspective, and I've been saying this today on TV, I know that they know that that Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic are tall. It's not like, I'm not trying to make it sound like they weren't aware of the opposition. <laughs> but when you go out there and face it, for I used to think about this when I saw the Thunder play, when the Thunder were at their prime, mm-hmm. you'd see teams go play them and the first quarter, there'd be like seven deflections because they 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 can't calculate how long the arms of Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Kevin Durant were. They just couldn't do it until they actually saw it. It was like the Heat, like like oh my God, they are like really big. And it, I think as soon as Michael Malone saw that that lineup came in that had Caleb Martin still in there, he's like, okay, we're unleashing the big boys. And Gordon ate up Struess and Martin and -hmm. Jimmy Butler, no matter what you want to say, I think they should probably show Jimmy in the film room today. The, the, the film of him jawing at um, drew holiday because Jimmy was intimate. I I don't, I'm very cautious to say that we're intimidated because Jimmy is intimidated by anything, but Jimmy didn't want any business in those big boys. I mean, did not drive. What's crazy. The fact that he took two, free throws in the game and it's not like a controversy like why weren't they getting whistles they did not attack the paint they just did not attack the paint with what's Jokic's one major flaw he's not a good rim protector I saw I think our our stats and info folks had something uh where he only defended two shots the rim in the entire game they just weren't attacking the paint and for Jimmy to have such just a it's one thing for Jimmy to have the kind of game where he's struggling to finish for him to have a game where he was that unaggressive was shocking. And listen, they just came off, obviously, an incredibly grueling seven game series. I don't know, maybe they can refuel with a couple of days between games. They look like a team that was running on fumes. Well, look, they were not as good talent-wise, as the Milwaukee Bucks. They were not as good talent-wise as the Boston Celtics. Why did they win those series? Because Jimmy Butler was the best player on the court in those games, and because they were much more poised and much more disciplined, particularly late in those games. The reason I was not confident in this being much of a competitive series, and I think we saw it in game one, those advantages are gone in this series. Nikola Jokic 
is in total control of the game when he has the ball. And Denver is not going to have these moments like the Celtics did throughout that series against Miami where they will just fall apart for six or eight or 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's harder to win the when the other team doesn't advantage. hand you the ball as much as the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds, it's, it's, it's a, it's sort of a, a crazy basic analysis to use. And we're talking about teams in the conference finals and finals, but the Celtics controlled most of game one, they controlled most of game two, and then they would implode in key moments and Jimmy would be there to take advantage of it. Jokic is just not going to do that. And, I thought Denver was fine in game one. I didn't think they played great. It was like a B game, I would say. I mean, yeah. They played well. They, they, they did, did some shoot things well. well. They, did some... they only scored no. 104 points. I mean, I know the pace of the game wasn't down, but 104 points. Well, they kind of took their the foot number... off the yeah. They kind of took well, their they... foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. If you the... say yes. so, they had their starters in. I mean, I know. I'm I'm, saying... what, what I'm saying is, I think the Nuggets can play a lot better. Oh yeah, they definitely I they, can. I mean, I Michael Porter Jr. can definitely shoot better than two of eleven, but the, you know right. he contributed in a lot of ways, but. You know, Joker was like shocked when he looked at the box score, and somebody said, "You know, what were you, what were you shocked by?" He goes, "I can't believe Michael was two of eleven from three. I swore he had like six or seven because he was getting those kind of looks." Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, it just it. I think to your point, Brian, the size. I thought Denver had a brilliant game plan. If this if this series is not played in transition, because there's basically no transition either way, Miami has no chance of scoring with the with the with Denver over the course of seven games. I don't think like they have to get easy baskets. They have to get out and run Denver. Just get the ball to Aaron Gordon inside. Just bucket after bucket in the Wait, first quarter. What Wendy, do you remember when Bon Temps said there there that the nuggets couldn't win a championship with Joker as the defensive anchor? What, I what is I don't, I don't know. A lot of people said a lot of things about Denver. I'm not what, what has happened to our good friend, Mr. Bon, well, but it's, let me just it's not about the. It's not about to Brian's point though. It's, I mean, look, Jokic has, I said going into the playoffs, he had more pressure on than any player in the league because there were no excuses, and he's mm-hmm. delivered on every sure. level. He's been incredible. He's now undisputedly, in my opinion, the best player in the world, and they're going to win the title probably in a week or so, barring something crazy happening. But the, well, I say that about playing a slow game. It's not about Denver's defense. Miami's offense can't keep up mm-hmm. with Denver. Like, they yeah. played a mediocre offensive game, scored 105 points, and Miami scored 80 because if Miami's not getting easy buckets – they they're not going to win. And like Bam out of bio, the most aggressive game of his life in that game. And you know, he had 26 on 25 shots. If he's taking 25 I, shots. That's a huge win for the, for Denver. I especially think. if they're I, mid-range I, jump shots. I know I wrote yep. a piece. I wrote a piece about this. It's going to publish on Saturday. Bam out of bio actually has a very impressive resume in games against the nuggets in his career. Uh, they played earlier this year. The last time they played in Denver, he had like 22 points, Mm-hmm. seven rebounds, four steals, two blocks. <clears throat> um, he's had a bunch of those types of games. Last last year when they played in Denver, he had a triple-double. Here he has 26 and 13. And like every single time, Jokic just outplays him. Just like, seriously, you go back and look at the string of games. It's like, oh, in this game, uh, Bama had 24, 13, and eight. That's awesome. What did Jokic have? Oh, he had 28, 15, and 12. Oh, okay. And now Jokic is 11 and two against Bam. And it's, I'm not even like looking at Bam, like, oh man, you're getting worked. Like, and you're right, Bontemps, like 26 points and 25 shots is not what they're looking for. But Bam played his best game in weeks. Yeah. And the Heat were yeah, undefeated. Yeah. You know what? He was undefeated. You know what? The when Nuggets they, when over 27 points on 12 shots by Joker, more assists oh. than shots. The guy absolutely dominated. The yep. first quarter and didn't he attempted one shot in the final minute and, and in the final minute and there was a was layup with three, with three seconds sec- to go in the quarter yeah yep. and it was off like a, a loose ball like it, yep. the ball kind of came and landed in his lap he they had even, like, six run a play assists every one of the the other starters was assisted by yoke by Jokic at least once before he even attempted a shot he dominated the first half one he, of the things that three for three from the floor and absolutely dominated the first half it's it, it's, it's easier it's, said it's than done but they have to it's easier said than done they have to try to make him a scorer. If they allow him to just operate out of the post and just hit guys for shots, that's how he wants to play. He would much rather have three shots and have 10 points and 10 assists than have 25 points and two assists at halftime. He doesn't want to play like that. And that was their game plan. But then they saw how freaking big that they were and they couldn't look. They just didn't calculate that Aaron Gordon was going to put Struess and, and, uh, and Caleb Martin 
into the basket standard. Maybe they, they should no, have. They had no chance against that. Maybe they, sh- no maybe they should have, but they didn't compute it. And and Joker is obviously one of the best passers ever to play the game. Not not just the best passing big man. One of the best passers to ever play the game at any position. But for sure, the guys. By the way, who's him. better? Is Magic? Are we talking? I was. I mean, is we, it him we, and Magic? Yeah. We can talk about Magic. We can talk about Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. I mean, I think John Stockton does have like eighteen million assists. Right. We probably got Steve. Big... Steve Nash. I mean, but yeah, I mean... we're talking about the best passers of all time. It's a it's a it's a very short list. I'll say this though: the guys that Joker plays with, they absolutely enhance his incredible passing ability. Obviously, the two-man game with Jamal Murray is just spectacular. I mean, the dribble handoff stuff, everything they do off of that. Porter's ability to, to move without the ball. He's learned how to cut, not just move for threes. KCP, just a perfect fit. Gordon is Bruce one of the Brown. best cutters in the league. Bruce Brown. I mean, these guys all understand, hey, everything is going through Joker, but he doesn't want to dominate the ball. He wants to get us you know, these great looks. If we're moving, if we're cutting, if we're on the same page with him, it's going to be dunks. It's going to be layups. It's going to be open threes. And they all are so good at playing off of him. I thought well, Alan Hahn on, no, on Get Up today had an amazing line. He was talking about how the Jokic kind of throws guys open, mm-hmm. kind of like a quarterback can throw guys open. He'll throw a pass to a spot. And even if the guy's not open, the guy knows where to go. Yep. <laughs> he, had, you know, he said um, that Jokic and Pat Mahomes or, or Patrick Mahomes are a lot alike. They both wear number 15 and they dominate Denver. Or they own Denver, I think is what he said. Um, but that's true, man. He throws guys open. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. It's amazing. To and watch. they both they also it, both throw from every different angle. Right? That's exactly right. I thought it was an amazing comparison. Normally, I think it, Alan's it, off his rocker. On this one, I give him five stars. <laughs> well, and and it it it's so reminiscent to me of Golden State. And obviously, they got to still win a couple more games. But I think we could be seeing the beginning of a run like that, especially with these new rules and the fact they have this team in place. Yeah, and it it it's so uh, like I don't remember if it was you you I think you referenced it on your pod with Zach Brian when you would see teams go up against Golden State in the playoffs you know or just Cleveland or anybody else the first game or two they would be like oh man like and they'd have to like readjust to playing against the Warriors and the way they play being so much different than everybody mm-hmm. else and like you said you go into this game. And you could talk about, yeah, Aaron Gordon, 6'10", and Michael Porter, 6'10", and we got to do the two-man game with Jamal and, and Jokic, and we got to watch for Bruce Brown cutting, and we got to watch for KCP spotting up for threes. But then the game starts, and you feel it. And then you have to recalibrate everything you're doing because they just don't play like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes them so fun to watch, and it's what makes them so difficult to guard because like you said you just watch these games and Jamal and Jokic aren't saying anything and they just like oh yeah I'm going to run over here and do this and do that and if they, they just sort of symbiotically know where to be and and, it's, and then you figure it's out just how to impossible deal with that. to stop yeah then you figure out how to okay here's how we're going to stop this two-man game oh because you did that there's a, a wide open three for Michael Porter Jr. whoops Aaron Gordon just cut yes. to the basket and you know, yeah. his guy's helping and that that's a dunk. For yeah, him. I would say it's hard. It's going to it's almost impossible to stop Jokic if if Jamal Murray is on, you know, he had eight of 12 in the first half. Yeah, it's curtains. All right. That's, this why, is too that's long. why they're down 20. Well, real quick, because we we sort of just said that there's there's no chance for Miami. Do we think they should? No. Uh, are there any things we should ask that like that they should try to do? I would say they should play Kevin Barrett Chambers Cody Zeller. Well, that might help. <laughs> I would try Kevin Love over Cody Zeller. The Cody Zeller minutes were a disaster. I would try to just space the floor a little bit, see if Kevin could hit some shots. I'd consider maybe trying to start Kevin and just have some more size out there. Maybe have him guard Jokic and just have Bam as a helper. And just so because they're so small when they've got Struz yeah, and if, Cody Martin. If you if you Martin take Bam off and you make Bam a sort of like a little bit of a rover, you can sort of leave Aaron Gordon. You roll the dice on Aaron. I mean, you know, if he beats you, he beats you. Um, the Heat, you know, Max Struess was 0 of 9 on threes. If Max Struess goes 3 of 9, okay, that's nine more points, which was the difference yep. in the, well, you know, math. and that's three, times where they can, that's three times where they can get back on defense. So yep. I think the Heat, when look at this, now they wouldn't say that they played good defense. They thought that they were completely disorganized from their game plan. 
So I don't want to make it sound like they played good defense, but the, the scoring that they allowed was a win and it was in winnable, in a winnable zone, you know, uh, 104 points. I think they had 112 offensive efficiency considering this team is number one offensive team in the playoffs. Yeah, you, you said on the, you said last night before the game, if you'd said yeah. Bam scored 26 and the Nuggets scored 104, you would think that yeah. Miami won the game. So Listen. look, and you guys know, I never, I, I think it's dangerous to overreact to game one. Mm-hmm. But when I speak about what I'm seeing, what everybody's seeing, I'm not just talking about the heat winning. I'm talking about winning four out of six. So that's yeah. really the, the challenge. Uh, you're talking about a team losing four times. It's only lost three games through three plus playoff series. I mean, they're, they're right. an absolute machine. Yeah. Jimmy right, Butler enough, has to put his cape enough. on. Period. End That's of the, the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, we'll come sorry. back to you oh, next week. Geez. Sorry. Just, my schedule is my schedule. I'm so sorry. Oh, um, oh yes. Geez. Here oh, we go. Hey, Too much did work. Know, did you guys know how work. important Wendy is? Adios, amigos. Thanks for squeezing me in for dinner. I haven't even set it up yet. Thank you to Mark Lazary, former other Milwaukee oh. Bucks, for joining us. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps. And thank you for listening to the pod. We will be back with you before game three with another special guest. Who will it be? Let's wait and find out. Gracias por todo y adios amigos. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.